And afterwards I was just like, what were you thinking? And he's like, you squirted. Like, (laughs) he's like, I'm pretty sure you liked it. Just a quick celebration before we get into this podcast. So we work with both single men as well as men in relationships, and we work with a lot of married men who want to generate more polarity with their woman and want more closeness in their marriage and, um, yeah, just sense that more is possible in that arena. So here is a celebration from one of our men in that category. My wife has acknowledged significant changes are evident after this program. These are general observations about three specific areas. One, how business is conducted around the house. Two, relationship with the children. Three, performance and command in the bedroom. All tangible, quantifiable growth. One example. Recently, I led by sharing with my wife that I was feeling a sense of ease and safety in her energy around the house. I added that I noticed that my nervous system was feeling more capacity to give. Her response was that she had noticed that I had taken command of the household, alleviating typical pressures on her, and that particularly my emotional support and interaction with the children has taken a great amount of stress off her. This conversation, which often happens when we are connecting on emotional levels, led to physical intimacy in the bedroom. And our post-physical debrief of the evening highlighted the emotional and spiritual connection, which transcended the physical and even ventured into places we have not gone. It was multifaceted in terms of connecting on many different levels, which were romantic, emotional, spiritual, funny, explorative, and the physical release. She highlighted my physical presence to throw her around and lead, as well as my more soft, emotional side where polarity was moving between us. It is indeed a profound journey, and I intend to continue to work and explore even further. I see this as a starting point of a lifelong exploration of personal growth. None of this would have been possible without the framework and instruction of the Pillars program. I swear we didn't, <laughs> we didn't plan that last part. That was just something that he said. But, um, if you are interested in coaching, if you are interested in that kind of transformation, you can always get us at evolutionary.men slash apply. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I am excited to have Jeff and Allison here. Um, today we're talking about going from sexless relationships to relationship podcasting and sex podcasting. Um, Welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you here. Thanks so much. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much, Melanie. It's a blast to be here. And it was fun because I was on your show not long ago, so it's a little swippity swap. Nice to have you. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I am... Uh, curious to hear about your kind of personal experiences on this topic, because we don't talk, I think, about sexless relationships enough in our culture, given their prevalence. So psychologists estimate that about 15% of couples are actually in sexless relationships. I'm specifically talking about marriages, which is a lot of people, right? That's 15 out of 100. That's, you know, you get 100 people in in a networking room. A lot of them are married, like 15 of them aren't really having any sex in their marriage. And it's, it can make you feel a lot of different ways. So I would love to get into it and just hear from each of you. Um, we're going to talk about where you are now, but first I want to hear about where you were. So what was your experience? Maybe we'll start with you, Allison, and then move to you, Jeff. What was your experience of being in a sexless marriage? How did you kind of get there? What happened? And then how did it, how did it resolve? It's an interesting thing to reflect on because I don't know exactly when it happened, right? So when I started having kids, um, I actually had like an increased sex drive after my second child was born. I think it was my age and kind of where my hormones were um, and sex was a big part of my life, right? And as the kids got older and got more active in activities and things going on and work and house and kids and life, um, this, my sex life really started to deteriorate. And then it came to the point where there was just no sex at all. And I truly believed that it was because of my age and the length of my relationship and 
all of the things going on in life. And I just thought that nobody was really having sex anymore, that this is just what happens. You're together for a long time and you stop having sex and you are companions or roommates or partners raising a family, but you no longer have that passion. And when I say there's no passion, there was no passion. I mean, there was just no (laughs) zero, um, I, I didn't feel like I even needed sex. Like I, I was like over it. It was a very strange phenomenon. I just thought that's how it was until that marriage ended. And I realized, no, I still really want to have sex. In fact, I'm a very sexual person. I just was not with someone that I wanted to have sex with. And I wasn't with someone who made me feel good about myself. I wasn't with someone that I was happy with. I wasn't happy in all aspects of my life. So I was having no sex. And um, fast forward a couple of years, I'm now married, (laughs) remarried and having lots of sex and having a a host of a sex podcast. So so it's a big uh, turnaround. Yeah. Thank you for speaking to that um, perception that like, oh, well, I guess this is just sort of what happens. Right. I think there's, there is a perception in the culture. We get married, we have kids, you know, we cohabitate. And then I guess this is just sort of what happens. And I'm curious in your experience. And then I do want to hear what your, what your version was, Jeff. Um, Did you two talk about it? Did you have, did you and your husband ever have a conversation about our sex life? How did that go? What was that like? And then how did you, um, resolve it. I mean, how, how did you, you know, re- end the relationship basically? Was it you? Was it mutual? How did it, how did it work itself out? Because I think it's easy to feel trapped in this kind of circumstance. And I'm curious if you had that feeling and how you got out of that. So I definitely felt trapped in the, you know, be a good mom, not break up your family type feeling. Right. Um, I wasn't happy, but I didn't realize how unhappy I was until more time passed. And we just were not a compatible couple and in many regards, not just sex anymore. Um, But we did talk about it and almost joke about it, like that we just didn't have sex anymore. And then, um, you know, like many men do, he would snore sometimes and would um, go sleep on the couch to not wake me up or whatever. Right. Or I'd like nudge him and he'd move. And then it came to the point where he was just sleeping on the couch. Like we were no longer even sleeping in the same bed. And, you know, the kids kind of were like, Oh, that's weird. You know, like, and I, you know, and I would just, you know, brush it off of, Oh, he was snoring or whatever, but we just really were not connected at all anymore. Um, as the kids started going off to college, we did have a long conversation, um, initiated by me about like, what exactly are we doing here? You know, bit by bit, these kids are taking off on us and it's going to be just us in this house. And we really have no relationship that doesn't involve our children. So, um, we need to work on this or make a change. And, you know, I basically said, if you're not happy here, you should leave. And uh, he didn't leave. He said, no, we should work on making this change. But the change never really happened. I was the one trying to like, you know, reconnect and make plans and and get us back on track. It was half-hearted because I knew that he wasn't the right person for me. But again, I didn't really want to break up the family. And, you know, without even realizing it at the time, I, I didn't want to be alone, right? My kids were all leaving. I was going to, you know end a relationship, my marriage also, did that make any sense? Maybe not. Um, but, um, the, an intervention came to me by form of a text message from a young lady named Jessica, (laughs) uh, Jessica texted my husband, something extremely inappropriate. And I saw it and I questioned him on it. And it turns out that there were several Jessica's So it was an easy decision. It was really what I wanted anyway, but I don't know how or when I ever would have pulled the plug. Um, So it made it easy for me because that was just, that was just a no brainer. Like we're done. This is it. It's over. Um, And I spent some time alone after that over a year. I did a little bit of dating and then I met my dream come true. 
Enter Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That was a good segue. Sorry, I was trying to find my mute button. Um, <laughs> that was a great segue. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. Sometimes in life, I feel like we make choices and sometimes choices are made for us, for our highest good. And But they can feel really shocking and they can be actually very shocking at the time. Uh, being evicted comes to mind or losing a job, right? Someone getting fired, things like that. Or um, it sounds like for you, it's like this relationship wasn't working. It wasn't connected. And then there was this severing point. <laughs> I was like, okay, really clear. Now it's over. There's <laughs> no question. Um, I'm curious if that, did it feel traumatic at the time? Was that like a really traumatic event for you finding the text or was it kind of like, okay, yep, this is now complete. Well, I actually, I felt super strong at the moment. Um, you know, I said, you know, it, the kids were, you know, we had a few different kids and the older kids were going to be home from college for a holiday weekend. And I said, we'll get through the holiday weekend. Then you start packing your bags and I want you out. And if you pack your bags, move out and do a couple other things that we agreed upon financially, then I won't tell everybody what a shithead you are. Meaning like my brothers and our mutual friends and whatever. Um, Because I know that would be important to him too. Like he wouldn't want people to know how he treated, you know, someone as great as me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as things played out and we did, you know, separate it did. I did actually feel really um, horrible about myself. I felt very unwanted. Um, and it took, like I said, it was one of the best things I did was to take a year completely to myself. The youngest had gone off to college. So when we say completely by myself, I was living completely alone for the first time in over 25 years. Um, but it was a really good opportunity for me to reflect on how bad that relationship really was anyway. And that Jessica did me a huge favor. And even he did me a huge favor by being, you know, a scumbag (laughs) because he made it easier for me to um, separate from the thing that was not good or healthy for me anyway, and open up the doors for me to have a bright future. I mean, it didn't, it, it carried with me and still even beyond that first year, every once in a while, I'd be like, I don't get it. Like, why did he do this to me? Like, I don't get it. But over time, I realized it doesn't matter if I ever get it. Like, it's totally his loss. And um, it's just been the sky's the limit since then. I mean, I, I didn't know how great a relationship could be because I had settled for something that was so not great. That is very quotable. The other thing I wanted to pull out from what you said was, I wasn't happy, but I didn't realize how unhappy I was. And I, I guess I'm curious to hear Jeff's story after this, but I think that's something that I've definitely heard reflected in the stories of the men that I've worked with that have been in a sexless relationship, a sexless marriage is they've said things along the same lines of it's the frog that's that's in the water as the water is going up in temperature. It doesn't realize the water is boiling until it's way down the road, right? <laughs> dropped into the boiling water, you can tell it's hot right away, but it's just, it's the water we're swimming in. And then it just is sort of like, well, I guess this is how things are. And that's really not, not the case. So you're, you're a shining example of a success story and uh, life doesn't have to stay the way that it has been. So that's for, for anyone listening that's in this position or has been in this position. Yeah. And I think also, you know, to the, we talk about society and, and how you feel like you should act. Like we talk about this sometimes when we discuss like different um, types of sex that we like to participate in and, you know, things that others would consider non-traditional getting divorced also has like a, a, a level of shame with it. That was hard also, which I feel none of anymore. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I actually feel worse for my friends that I know who are married in completely unhealthy relationships because their fear of, they have a fear of divorce when really they are in relationships that are unfaithful. They're in relationships that are borderline abusive, um, or just unhappy also, but they're, they're not taking that chance and shame is part of it. I'm glad you spoke to that. Cause I've also had that experience of, I've worked with multiple clients who've said, looking back on my life, I wish that I had gotten divorced sooner rather than mm-hmm. waiting. And I would have had more aliveness in my life had I made that choice. And a lot of why I stayed was 
not for good reasons. It was more like I shouldn't or religious reasons or whatever level of, of uh, whatever flavor of shame there is. <laughs> it's sort of like, man, I wish I'd made that choice sooner because my life opened up and arguably my kids' lives have opened up as well because I'm role modeling a happier parent or a more authentic expressed parent than I was when I was in this relationship where I felt constrained or small or whatever was going on. So thank you for speaking to that. You know, what's interesting, uh, Melanie, about what you and Claire were just kind of talking about with uh, couples um, being in, you know, being married for a long time, but being unhappy is we see all the time on social media, uh, friends of ours who we know are in horrible, horrible marriages and very uh, upset, right? Very depressed about the relationships they're in. Yet they'll still go on social media and be like, we've been married 25 years today, right? So we have this societal standard, I guess, that the length of time in a marriage is kind of what we should celebrate. Yeah. But you can have 25 years of hell, right? Or you could have two years or three years or whatever the case may be of absolute bliss. And that marriage would be, in my opinion, far more successful. Absolutely. That is a great point. I'm realizing maybe I have the name wrong. I thought it was Jeff and Allison. Is it Jeff and Claire? No, <laughs> no, my given name is Claire, but um, my, we've, I've always gone by Allison. My family calls me Allison. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I thought you were, I'm not sure what I thought, but okay. So we no. can call you. <laughs> yeah. Claire? Can I call you Claire or Allison? No, no, definitely Allison. Allison, Allison okay, thanks. <laughs> you did say Claire. I heard you say, you, maybe you get all wound up. You said Claire. <laughs> I was like, shit, do I have the wrong guests on? I'm just kidding. This, this is the correct, <laughs> this is the correct duo. <laughs> yeah, so Jeff, I would love to hear your experience. Same question. Just what happened? Yeah. So my situation was a little different. Unlike Allison, um, I've never had children. So I didn't have any of that as a, as a piece of the puzzle for me. Um, but I had been through um, a couple of failed marriages and kind of what Allison said, you know, you kind of uh, walk away. I mean, I had, I was with two people who were, um, you know, were cheating on me. And uh, so you know, like Allison, it makes it much easier to end that relationship, even even when there's problems, right? It just helps to kind of uh, be a catalyst to facilitate that process of ending. But nonetheless, you walk away with two failed marriages and, and you start to also question yourself. You feel shame. You feel all these different things um, from being divorced, because that's kind of what happens in our society. And And I think looking back on that, I think that's part of the reason why I got into this sexless relationship and stayed in it far too long was this, I don't want to have another failed relationship, right? I don't want to just keep uh, ticking that toll um, of of having these bad relationships. So uh, I was with this person for 10 years. Um, the interesting thing is, is when I first met this person, I had no sexual attraction whatsoever. And yet I had a friend at the time that said, well, hey, you know, maybe this is maybe this means it's the right relationship for you because this is uh, something different for you. Maybe maybe you should go with that and see what happens. And and the the sexual attraction never came around Um, and sex was always lacking in the relationship. But for the last three years of it, it was completely sexless. And I think what's interesting about sexless relationships, because Allison and I have done shows on our podcast about this. And it's something that I learned about sexless relationships is sexless doesn't necessarily mean no sex at all, right? Sexless can simply be, I would like sex six times, but we're having it too. So maybe that's sexless to me, right? So sexless is, it's very, I think it's important to understand that definition um, that it doesn't always mean zero sex. But like I said, in my case, Yeah. In my case, it was zero sex for exactly three years. And it was maybe once or twice a year for years, you know, prior to that. And uh, I found myself just sinking deeper and deeper into a depression and unhappiness. And I knew I was extremely unhappy. I mean, that that was clear. Uh, I think I shared with you kind of during uh, some of our pre-calls that I didn't care if I lived or died. Uh, at some points in my life, you know, I was that deep and I felt trapped. Uh, I didn't know what to do, where to turn. 
And um, and so it, it was just really an, an awful, awful feeling uh, to be in that in that whole situation. And there was no communication. Allison had a little bit more communication in her situation. Um, I had no communication because this person was just incapable of communicating. This person was like the, the true definition of a narcissist. And uh, anytime you tried to raise feelings, uh, it would be a very erratic, a very sudden, just attack you, screaming, yelling, uh, would not listen to your feelings. So there was no, you know, no headway or anything that could be made there uh, through the discussion of feelings. So that was really what happened. And uh, as I've said to, to Allison many times, I don't know what hit me. It was it was just like one day I woke up and it was like I, I was just like I, I just can't do this anymore. And somewhere somehow uh, I I got to strike to to break free of it really uh, and and you know make a change for my life. And thank God I did because you know like Allison, um, you know it, it changed my world completely. I pretty much had given up that love existed or that good sexual relationships existed. And Allison has changed all of that for me and completely changed my life in both of those regards. No, it's so romantic. <laughs> so romantic. Um, I wanted to touch on what you said about uh, sexless marriage and definitions. So to add to that, psychologists define a sexless relationship as one in which the couple is having sex 10 times a year or fewer times. So basically, if you're having sex less than once a month, that is how psychologists define a sexless relationship. Yeah. And I really liked what you said about, you know, discrepancy <laughs> between <laughs> how much one person wants it versus the other, which is, you know, desire discrepancy is the number one reason that couples seek out uh, sex therapists. It's the number one reason they seek out sex therapists, not couples counselors, but specifically sex therapists is desire discrepancy. And some of those couples are in this kind of distress, right? They're in a sexless marriage. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting to reflect on how many, how many couples try to, to go it alone and how kind of prevalent that is in our culture. I think it makes me a little sad. I've been working with couples for a while now, and I work more with couples who want to take their relationship from good to great. So I don't work with couples that are in distress. I work with couples that want to to expand their conscious relationship, right? Expand their healthy relationship and make sure that it stays healthy for a long time kind of thing. But it's so, I feel like so often couples only seek out help when it's too late, right? Like it's like, yeah. okay, yeah. we're kind of, kind of know we're really on the rocks and now we're going to get a counselor versus just more, um, proactive. And I think that's something that I, I'm curious to hear from each of you. Um, Jeff, I think it sounds pretty clear from what you described. There is no space there for getting, getting help. That's like, that's a non-starter, right? If someone is screaming at you when you're trying to share how you feel, that is not someone that's going to be open, open to getting. <laughs> no, I mean, it's basically killing all lines of communication. And, and I mean, we know that, you know, once that happens in any relationship, there's just no way to improve it. No, that's, that is, that is a no-go zone. That is not, that's not going to happen. But I'm curious to hear from you, Allison, because I think that's a common question as well is, did the two of you ever think about getting, getting help as a team? Did you, did it not work? I'm just very curious briefly. And then I would like to move towards what you two do now. So, um, yeah, I recommended it and it was a hard no, like, no, thank you. That's, that's not going to help. That's, that's not the issue. However, what's interesting is after we separated, he did go seek counseling himself because he asked me to attend with him once the counselor had asked me to come, um, primarily because I think what he had identified was that he just, um, wanted to be alone. Like he almost wanted to be like a hermit. So like he just wanted he, this random um, extracurricular activities that he had, which I thought was okay. Well, we'll 
separate and he'll go continue to have extracurricular activities, which he may or may not have. I have no idea. But he was saying that he just really thought maybe something was wrong with him because like the end of the marriage, like why did he just let it go without even trying? Or why would he have done this like destructive behavior to end a relationship with someone who, you know, had been a good partner to him. So um, I don't know uh, ultimately where, where that landed. You know, we, <clears throat> we didn't keep in touch much, <laughs> um, but uh, during our relationship, he was not willing to go not one time, zero times. So yeah, that's, that's a pretty clear red flag on both of those fronts. Um, Jeff, I also wanted to go back to what you said about I found myself sinking deeper and deeper into depression. And that is something that I've consistently seen with our clients is that when a couple isn't connecting, when there isn't that connection in the relationship, it is corrosive to our lives, right? And when we're not connecting with an intimate partner, it is one of the most destructive forces, I think, particularly when you're cohabitating, (laughs) Because yes. you're around that person all the time. You're especially if you share a bed, which a lot of people do, not everyone, but it's like you're around them all the time. There's this kind of constant reminder of what we don't have or the ways that we're not connecting or the ways that I don't feel good about myself when I'm around you. You know, there's something you said, Allison, about I was I was with someone that didn't make me feel good about myself, or I wasn't with someone that was making me feel good about myself. And that is that takes a toll day in and day out, day after day after day. I can't tell you how many men I've talked to who've said, oh yeah, I was depressed as fuck. You know, I, I, <laughs> how I got through, I can hear that a lot from these guys. They're like, I don't, I'm not really sure how I made it through that. Actually, I don't, don't know what happened, but a lot of them, them had some kind of numbing strategy or some kind of way that they coped with that. Um, whether it was alcohol or porn addiction, or some of them had healthier behaviors, but a lot of them were like, less than healthy, but they needed something to help get them through that period. Um, and I, I feel like there's a really lovely, um, uh, you two have a lovely relationship. Like you have a great vibe that you, that you've come to in, in this season of your life. And I think that's really inspiring. And it's part of why I wanted to have you on because when you're in it, it can feel like, is this even possible? Like <laughs> in a connected relationship, do connected relationships exist? And so, yeah, I'm curious, you know, as you, both of you moved out of these, you know, more unhealthy relationships, um, what was your attitude going forward about love? Did you feel, you know, dis, dis, what's the word? Disillusioned, disillusioned. And then how did you come towards what you have now? How did, did you set an intention where you're like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to get back on the horse. I really want a more connected relationship. I want to try again. Or was it like a surprise that you met each other? It was like, oh, this actually works really well. Like what was your, each of your experiences around that transition? Let's start well, with, 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 oh, I'm sorry, uh, Melody. I was just going to say what's interesting to something that you just said was that uh, men going through some very difficult things, um, in my situation, there was a huge, obviously, as we just talked about, there was a huge divide, um, it, right, sexually, those types of uh, attractions and things. Um, but this person also, just as an, as an everyday person, was also very horrible and demeaning to me. And that was even more of a struggle, right, on a daily basis. Uh, from the moment I woke up to the moment I would go to bed, um, it, there was constant criticism. Uh, never done constructive, you know, nothing was ever good enough. Uh, what you didn't do wasn't good enough. What you did do wasn't good enough. Um, so there was just this constant, uh, again, the, the only word I can think of is demeaning, uh, which like Allison said, it just makes you so, feel so devalued and so worthless. And it really wears on you mentally. Um, and I was finding that every night I was going to bed at seven 30 at night and I just chalked it up to the time that I was, you know, I was tired, but what it was getting out of that situation was I was depressed, Mm -hmm. right? I was so depressed and that was my escape from this person. I'll just go to bed. I don't have to listen to any more criticism. I don't have to listen to any more of the fighting, the, the bickering, the argue, you know, all this stuff. Um, it, it was my escape. And, um, like I said, when I broke free of that and, and met Allison, um, you know, neither of us were really 
in a place where we were looking for a relationship. And I think we would both agree, and, and, and Allison can correct me if I'm wrong when, when she speaks, but I think uh, we would both agree that we were both kind of caught off guard um, with one another. Uh, we didn't, you know, we weren't looking for something. And, and I guess to me, it's it's the old adage, right? Love will find you when you're not looking for it. <laughs> um, I think there might be something to be said for that. Uh, now that I've actually experienced it, firsthand when we're not forcing things and and you know begging the universe for it it's funny what it'll give us and uh, so i just think that that's in, in incredibly uh amazing how we how we met and we just started talking and it wasn't long before we started getting very personal with each other and and sharing some very very intimate and deep uh thoughts and experiences and all sorts of different things and i really think it accelerated our closeness and it certainly woke me up to be like, wow, this is how it can be. Like, this, you don't have to be with someone who makes you feel like shit every day, who makes you feel worthless and, you know, devalues you in, in every way possible. Here's a person that feels, even to this day, um, you know, Allison has never been like that. If anything, I would say she makes me feel sometimes like she's my biggest fan. So um, yes. it, it's pretty amazing. <clears throat> I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> also very romantic. You guys are adorable. Um, Allison, yeah, talk to us about what that transition was like. I mean, I was struck by what you said of it was your first time ever living alone. And I feel I, I have a feeling you were doing a lot of reflection. <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah, and you know what? It was it was honestly like kind of a lonely experience, but really in the end, one of the best things that ever could have happened, like for my personal growth after time. So I intentionally spent a year um, completely by myself, right? So obviously my kids came home and visited me. I wasn't like living alone all of the time and I worked and I did have friends, but I was in no relationships and I was not seeking one out at all for a year. And when I started to dip my toe back into considering um, meeting someone, it was strictly for someone to do things with. Like I would be driving home at night and I'd see like a couple walking home with their, their doggy bag from dinner. Right. And I'd be like, Oh, it'd be nice. I wish I had someone like to do that with once in a while. So that's the only reason why I even put myself out there at all to consider dating, but it was never going to be for love. And I was never, ever going to get remarried. That's really where I, where my thoughts were. And I did date and I actually dated like really at a, a slow pace. Um, not very many people, but you know, one person for a period of time, but it was not super serious. Um, and I did a little other, you know, minor dating. And then I met Jeff. So I truly was, I mean, I was open to meeting someone to spend time with, but I was, I didn't realize that my heart was even open for love or for a relationship. Um, and that's not even getting to the sex part. <laughs> it just was like, you just, you can't imagine that everything can be aligned, right? You might be completely compatible with somebody and love them and adore them, have many of the same values and interests, but sexually you're not compatible or vice versa, right? You might have somebody who sexually you got, you're off the charts, you guys match really well, but in the long run, they're not the right person for you for a long-term relationship because of you know, the, their interests or their values or, or kind of their goals, that kind of thing. And we figured out really early on that we had both. And it was, it was, we were both like, oh my gosh, this does exist. Because even in our previous relationships, when we thought we were happy before we knew we weren't unhappy, we were never <laughs> this happy. <laughs> um, we just had never experienced it before. And then, and I mean, and even as like the friendship piece, the the relationship piece of caring about each other piece was so strong, but the sex piece was just amazing. Like just for both of us who had been like sexually dead for such a long period of time um, to be like really opened up again. Um, and to, to extent that neither one of us had ever had before, we've done things that we've never done before. Like it's our, our sexual relationship is, is very strong. Um, and we went from zero to a hundred. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, you know, I mean, we're like a six times a week kind of couple, <laughs> right? I mean, we're, we're very sexual, um, together. And so 
imagine both of us being in a sexless relationship, right? With that kind of sex life. Um, it, I mean, it just, it doesn't seem possible, right? I mean, it just seems completely ridiculous to think that either of us existed in those types of relationships. So, um, yeah. and, and I think Allison and I too, when we first met, the connection was so strong and so clear. There was no doubt about it. And we both admitted to each other that even within the first week, we had shared so many things that we didn't share with people who had been like, I was with someone for 10 years. They didn't know a fraction about me or my life or my experiences than, you know, compared to what Allison knew in a first week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that says a lot to me. Like she was just so easy to talk to, never judged me. Um, never rejected me based on something I said. And those things are so important. We have to accept our partner, right? We have to accept them and all of them for who they are. It's But and I think that is one of the reasons why our sexual relationship is so strong is because we have such a high level of trust that, I mean, it's in our, for me, there were things that I might've considered wanting to try, but I was never with someone that I wanted to try them with. And I never would have said it out loud, right? It just was, I didn't have that comfort level where for us, the trust level is so high. There's really nothing that I could <laughs> say. And if it was something he wasn't interested in or that he thought was, you know, not something that was good for us or for me, he would say that, but I would never feel shamed or embarrassed um, about anything like that. And even like the frequency of sex, like there are some weeks you say six times a week and that's like the average because there, <laughs> other than when you're, you're not feeling well recently, it's, <laughs> Oftentimes more than that, right? And on the weekends, we have more time, whatever. We just really enjoy um, being together. It's just a really strong connection sexually. But it is early on in the relationship, we're, we're both like not trying to play our, our hand and let the other know that we were having feelings because, you know, we were so cool and we were just going to see where this took us, you know? Um we both said something at one point within early on within the first couple of weeks. And I said something about how I felt like I actually needed him. Like, not just like I wanted him. I felt like I needed him. And that because of the feelings I had for him, this amazing sex that we were having, which was great sex anyway, was just so amplified because of the feelings. So it's like this, the meshing these two perfect worlds of a great relationship and a great sex life and putting them together. And then you have, an off the charts sex life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, can you bring us in a little bit? Like you mentioned, um, either of you can answer this, but you know, you mentioned like bringing things up that are like, this is something I'd be interested in and knowing that the other person won't, won't judge me for that. But what are some of the the things that you brought up either of you that you were like, a little, this is edgy, right? It's edgy for me to bring this up, or this might be something I want to try. Bring us in a little bit as to what some of those things were, whether you went down that path or not. Well, I mean, I would, the first things that come to my mind, uh, you know, I think we may have touched on this with you, Melanie, um, again, in the, in the pre-calls, but we kind of developed this game very early on. We called it the question game. And what we did is we started off very slowly with each other, right? Asking very basic questions. Hey, how many different places have you lived and what was your favorite? Or how many different cars have you had and what was your favorite and why, right? These are the, the basic questions, right? But what's interesting is that there's like something happening there, even though these questions are very insignificant and meaningless in, in the overall scheme of things. You're exchanging the information with each other. And even those questions are starting to build that communication and that trust with one another. And we slowly began to step up those questions till we eventually got to the questions that I believe most couples completely stay away from. And those are the questions of how many sexual partners have you had? What are your, what's your biggest fantasy? Um, we got to those questions and it wasn't always the easiest to answer them or to necessarily hear them, but we never made each other feel like um, you know, slut shamed or, you know, sex shamed because you had this fantasy. Uh, I'll share, Allison shared with me that her fantasy was to experience a double penetration, right? I know, I'm sure there's a lot of men out there that would completely freak out to hear their partner say that, right? And and probably would slut shame their, their uh, significant other. Um, but it wasn't about that. Like we, we were just very open and very accepting of each other. And, um, and, and and so we we really shared a lot of like deep things like that that 
again, I feel a lot of couples don't want to even come close to getting into for all of those reasons, right? It makes you feel very, very vulnerable. Um, but we never made each other feel like that. And it there's just something to be said for knowing that she knows everything about me and I know everything about her. And so I've been at like family functions and past relationships, and I've been terrified of maybe someone I dated in the past, and maybe that person's name would come up, right? And it, oh my God, this is going to cause a fight. It makes you feel so uncomfortable because I've been in relationships where people reacted like that. Um, Allison's not like that, right? I mean, every once in a while that happens, right? You know, it's like, okay, let's not talk about that, you know, but I know that if that happens occasionally every now and then, or she hears something about my past, she pretty much knows it all already. <laughs> so it's not going to be, I don't have to, I don't have to go worrying about those things coming out because we have that, that open communication. Yeah. It's funny. Cause when you were talking about the question game, you know, we did start small, but it was really just to get to know each other. And that's how we also learned Melanie that our past had crossed when different times in our life. Like we, we literally worked in the same building and and things like that. So it's just, it goes to show that we were in these other relationships for a period of time for a reason, because it wasn't the right time for us to meet yet. Um, and that when we did the, you know, the timing was perfect, but, um, one of my favorite questions, I was just remembering it now when you were talking about like the kind of benign ones, we worked our way up is I remember saying to you, how many butts have you been in? I think I asked him, I asked you that before I knew how many people you had actually had sex with, because that was just, I don't know. I love anal sex, Melanie. I just do. I mean, I, it's just one of those things you, you don't know until you try it. And it's, it's, it's talk about shame. That's not something that I would have really wanted to talk about with other partners because I would have felt uncomfortable. It just wasn't something that would be easy to, to chat about and be like, Hey, you know, I know we've been doing it this way for so long, but would you mind sticking it in my butt? Because I really want to try that. Um, <laughs> but um, that was one of the questions I asked you. I just remember you be, uh, giving me the number and being, but a couple of times it didn't go that well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, it's, and Jeff had some things that were in, of interest to him that I had never experienced before either, like role playing and cosplay and um, different sensation things. Like one time he had me like, the room was completely dark. He had me put headphones in my ear and blindfold. and he blindfolded me and he you restrained my arms. Right. <laughs> and it was just like this, like, I am super sensitive. I mean, like ticklish, like every nerve on my, on my body works. And so is he. So it was just like this create, like this experience, but you want to talk about the level of trust I had for him to be completely unaware of what was coming next, but it was something that he wanted to try. He wanted to please me in that way. Um, and those are just like a couple of things that came up that, and now there's like nothing we won't talk about. I mean, like we, we have this torso and every once in a while, the torso will come out and, you know, Jeff will be like, you know, put this part torso part either in your Okay, we in your butt or yeah. How do we explain to the listeners what torso means? Because people are like imagining (laughs) the body part. Share what that is. So it is true, true. Um, we call him Torsi, and he's like a um he's a sex torso. He's a sex torso. So it's not a full sex doll, it's just the torso, like from the neck to like mid-thigh, right? Yeah. And um He's not a small, he's not a big man. He's a a small man, right? But he has a penis and the penis with Jeff selected for this toy because this torso was a surprise, um, is a moderately sized average size penis, right? And then that way, way Jeff thought if we were doing some type of DP role play, that that would be good for anal sex, you know, just because you don't want something too big for that. But then he bought a um, like a cover, yeah, like a penis it, sleeve, right? A sleeve uh, uh, to go over the torso's penis in case I chose to put that penis in my vagina. If you know Jeff was going to be my anus or something else, or or even you know doing like a spit roast or something, right? So um, it it's it's this most interesting toy ever. I highly recommend it. It does have a butt too, like if you wanted to go in the butt, but. It's one of these things where I shared my fantasy with Jeff and we are not in a relationship where we we want to bring other people into our bedroom. So we are able to um, act out our fantasies um, with the toys. 
And one thing I really appreciate, uh, I think that you were getting at Jeff was um, when she shared that with you, you didn't feel threatened. No, so there, wasn't, there wasn't a sense of pushback around like, oh, uh, you know, you didn't immediately go to, oh, that means you want to fuck other guys, right? You, right? you slowed your role around like, oh, like, tell me more. And you were open and available. And that kind of open availability builds trust, right? It's like it builds trust every time like you ask her something and she shares and you respond openly she knows that next time you're likely to respond more openly. Whereas I think sometimes when we've been in relationships where we've shared something and there's been, there's been a, you know, a sense of a hard closure. stop yeah, <laughs> yeah. A hard stop, or a sense of shaming or just closure, just like, Oh, I don't want to hear that. Or I'm disgusted by that. Or how could you even think about that? Right. All of that stuff shuts us down. And then we're less likely to bring up something else, something else, something else. So there's, I, what I really like about what you're describing is it feels like a huge part of your creativity, right? Each of you is bringing a lot of creativity and play and interesting um, offerings to each other in the realm of sexuality. And that's something really healthy and bonding. And I'm interested, I'm curious to hear because one of the, um, one of the truths about polarity, right? The dance between the two, like I call it alpha and omega, but just the two polarities within relationship is that when we take risks, we tend to up the polarity, right? So getting that sex toy, the torso, torsi, um, <laughs> right? It's like, I don't know how this is going to go. This is a risk. When we take risks in relationship, it tends to build um, connection. And sometimes it doesn't work right? That's why it's called a risk is because we don't always know what's going to happen. We don't know what whether it's going to go well. And so I'm curious to hear from you two, a couple who really take some sexual risks with each other. You know, have there been scenarios or situations that were like, oh, actually that was too much for me? Because I feel like that's something that can be bonding as well is if you take a risk and it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that you have to be disconnected, right? You can still be connected and like, oh, we tried that. And like, Maybe that was too much or that didn't really work the way that we thought. Can you share a little bit about that as as kind of a couple who takes risks in the bedroom? I'm trying to think, Alonso. I'm trying to think if we've ever had an experience that really didn't work out. You know, we we believe right, we have a we have our safe word. It's mistletoe. And, um, <laughs> you know, Allison has said that there's been a couple of times where she has been on the verge of saying it. Um, but never got to that point. Um, but I think, obviously, I think anyone who is taking risks with sex, uh, good practice, right, to have safe words and have something in place um, ahead of time so that if something like that does happen, everyone's on the same page, right? I think it, I think that situation can be handled much easier when both people, you know, it's one thing, if you don't have that conversation and someone starts yelling a word, a safe word, and they don't know what you're talking about, you're in for some trouble. Right. Cause it's, <laughs> you don't want to do the hard stop. You just want something to adjust. So I would say there's been some times where we've had to adjust. Um, so I didn't know that I wanted this, but Jeff decided to try something once, which now I'm, you know, pretty addicted to, which is the, the, um, acting out like a, a double vaginal penetration with Jeff and a toy. Um, and sometimes he gets the toy that's the big one, right? That's not the one he's supposed to be using. <laughs> so it's usually <laughs> when the smaller ones is hello. Um, but that was a risk that you took. Yeah. Um, and it, it, and that ended up working out. That was completely, I had never talked about that as a fantasy. I didn't think it was a possibility. I didn't think my body worked that way. I just didn't, I didn't know, you know, I had children, but I didn't have any vaginal births. So I wasn't sure how much would fit in there. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not great on the anatomy, but still. Um, and we've done a couple different types of um, double penetrations with um, Jeff has a harness so he can, you know, it's kind of like a, like a strap on type thing. It's, right, it is right. absolutely adorable. The harness is just, he looks amazing <laughs> in it, but I've a couple of times tried to um, encourage him to maybe allow some anal play on him. And that's been something that he has said that he's not interested in. And I've 
gotten a little bit close-ish a couple of times. And it's the the position has changed quickly enough so that I was no longer able to uh, attempt anymore because I know it's not something that he really wants, but I didn't know I wanted the double vaginal penetration. So I'm thinking maybe if you just try a little, but we obviously respect each other and I'm not going to, you know, hurt him in any way and and try something that I know he doesn't really want. Um, but maybe kind of like, like tiptoe around it a little bit to see if it's something that he might enjoy. Um, but it's so far, all the risks that we've taken have worked out pretty well. Um, for the most part, I can't, I can't really think of a hard note. Like some of the role plays were kind of interesting. Um, but well, yeah. yeah it's and- interesting. Oh, sorry, Melanie. I was just going to say, it's interesting though, to what you said with, with taking risks in sex. I think, you know, if you're trying to surprise your partner with a sex toy, maybe those first couple of toys you buy, uh, you are, um, you know, your, your fear will elevate a little bit, right? You're, you'll, you'll become a little scared to become, oh my God, is this a good idea? Am I doing the right thing? Right. It's very easy to begin, become nervous and, and question yourself. But I think if you take that risk and you do it, uh, it just builds that confidence, right? That it's okay. Uh, your partner accepts you. They're not judging you for that. And like you said, you can really form some great bonds uh, by going down those roads and, and sharing in some of those experiences together. And it can be I think you can just really build your relationship and, and just take it to another level by doing those things. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you have that connection and trust, yeah. at least some of that, like you said, because I think in your past relationships, that probably wouldn't have worked out. Never <laughs> happened. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to depend a lot on the person. Um, I also wanted to shout out the traffic light method for anyone. Um, I think a lot of us are familiar with the safe word uh, concept, but what you might not be familiar with is the traffic light method, which is green light, yellow light, red light, which is exactly what it sounds like. If something is happening that you really love and you're like, Ooh, green light, green light. It's giving your partner that feedback. Like that's working, that's working. And then in these circumstances where you're testing out new things, yellow light is like, we're approaching, we're approaching. (laughs) It's not stop. It's not, I need the scene to end right now, but it's like, Oh, just heads up. Like that's, we're getting close. And sometimes you carefully just ask for clarification or, but I just wanted to throw that out there for people that are, that are trying things out. That can be a really helpful one. Um, and I think that's something that I'm also curious about hearing from both of you around, which is, um, I'm a big fan of the sex debrief. And it's something that I talk to my couples about of like, after an encounter, just like, what did you like about that? And was there anything you would want more of or less of? Right. And so I'm curious, particularly around the role play stuff, how was it, you know, debriefing that? Did you debrief in the moment or was it the next day or how did you handle that, you know, integration? It's, it's usually, yeah, it's usually <laughs> shortly after because we can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> um, and part of the issue with role play that is hard for me is, is like staying in character. Right. So like we've done some where, you know, I was a model and I went over to, um, you know, go for a modeling shoot and he was the photographer and, you know, I brought all my sexy clothes and whatever. And um, like, I usually call him some type of pet name, right? Like baby or honey or whatever. And in the whole scenario, I just kept calling him Jeff. Like, okay, Jeff, like here, Jeff, like it was, I had to try so hard to stay in the role. That, by the way, was a great role play. We ended up getting super, super excited. Um, And I was had my last photo session in a body stocking, like a crotchless body stocking. And um, he just couldn't couldn't resist. So anyway, but we usually do the debrief right after because we want to talk about it, right? There was a couple where um, things were, there was... One also where I don't even know how many dicks did you have out that one time you had them on plexiglass and you had them here, there, and everywhere. all the toys were like suction cups all over the place and I'm blindfolded. And it was, it was like a simulation of a, of a type of gangbang with like right, multiple right. partners. And afterwards I was just like, what were you thinking? And he's like, you squirted like, <laughs> he's like, I'm pretty sure you liked it. <laughs> when, when I first met Allison, it was very tricky because she has this habit during sex of saying no. And so 
but it doesn't mean no, right? So this, this when you're first exposed <laughs> to this, um, it's 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 a scary moment, right? I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, what do you mean no? Because you're saying no, but everything about this situation is saying yes. She goes, I mean yes. I just <laughs> this is what I say. So I've come to understand it. But in the beginning, it was a challenge because I was like, oh my god, I, you know. Am I doing something you're not okay with? Yeah, when I'm really he- heavily stimulated, I was like, no, 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 no. It just, it comes out and it's, but I told him about it before we ever had sex. Did I tell you about it? I think so. Yeah. Right. I was like, sometimes I say no, but I don't really mean no. Cause I don't, it's almost like this, but you can tell it's not like, no, it's like, no, 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 no. It's a different no. But anyway, <laughs> so when I had like all these dicks everywhere, suction cuffed all over the bedroom, I mean, that was a blast. I won't lie. That was an absolute blast. But at the time I was like, what is happening? Like I could, cause I had no idea. Like I came upstairs, like he left me a lovey dovey note, like come upstairs, like all rose petals. Right. I get upstairs and there's like, I'm like pushed on the bed and there's like dicks everywhere. <laughs> I was wearing a ski mask. I was a burglar who broke in, right. It was a home invasion. And, and I said, we're going to, we're going to have our way with you. And she goes, what do you mean we? <laughs> I'm like, come on, stay in character. I'm like, who's we? Like, what does it, because I'm like, there's people here. Like, what's happening? Like, am I being felt? <laughs> but it's, we've, I mean, it's one of those things though, that's not something I ever even thought I would want to experience. I, it had never been asked of me before. It's never something that I thought of as a, any type of fantasy and uh, I think the DP I only ever thought of was because I saw it in a porn and I was like wow that looks like that would feel good because I know how each one feels separately so um but to answer your original question about the debrief is we usually talk about it right after and that's not even with it like the other night we had like an amazing night of sex um uh, right before you weren't feeling well, but yeah. it was, I mean, amazing, amazing. I mean, like you would think that, okay, it would even start to become routine, even with people who are pretty creative. Right. But it was amazing. And then afterwards I was like, oh my goodness, what was that? Like we talk about it right away because there are just certain things that, that when all the stars are aligned and everything's being touched the right way, you know, whenever I squirt, which is on occasion, but not that often, you just know, like, Everything is being stimulated the perfect way. And typically that's like one of the longer sessions. And um, so we do usually talk about it right after. Yeah, we we do definitely talk about it. And one of the big things too, that uh, is really, really important to Allison is that after we do have uh, an experience like this, right? Where it's, uh, I, I, I say more aggressive, but I use that term loosely. Um, but it's very important to Allison always has been that when we are done with a session that we come together and she wants to hear that I still love her. Right. So it's, uh, it's one thing to be in that role play and step out from your, your everyday routine and your everyday selves to be someone that you're not right. Uh, like playing a character in a Hollywood movie. Uh, and, and even with that, right, we, we still have to, we've learned that you still have to have some boundaries with your role play, because even in a role play scenario, there still may be things that you don't want said to you, uh, you know, no matter whether it's a role play or real life, you're going to find that demeaning and, and unwelcoming. Um, so those are important things to have. Uh, and and we, we do, a, I think, a pretty good job of respecting those things. But coming back after we're done and and letting each other know that, hey, you know, this is what we just did. That was pretty dirty and, you know, whatever, (laughs) but, you know, I love you and you love me and, you know, we're, we're still us and, you know, we still have that respect for each other. I think those are, you know, huge things that couples can do and something that we really do. And truly in any other relationship, like we we've talked before about feeling vulnerable and, you know, we don't want to be shamed or anything like even kind of sharing that with you in any other relationship would have made me feel very vulnerable. Like saying to him, I love these experiences. I love doing these types of things with you, but I really need to reconnect afterwards. I need for you to tell me that you love me. And I mean, someone else might think that's very needy or like, not Mm -hmm. like, you know, I love you. Right. I just made love to you. Right. So, but it was just something that I felt at one point after we had some type of, you know, dirty session. I like the word you use naughty. (laughs) Um, But 
And you were so open to it. Jeff was so open to hearing that like, okay, yep. So that's one of your rules. That's something that's important to you after sexual experiences to hear that. I love you, you know, where in other relationships, you might not have that type of openness or even feel comfortable saying that because obviously we're in a loving relationship. I know he loves me, but for some reason, there's something in my mind that just needs to hear that. And, yeah. uh, you know, Jeff obviously was very open to that. Yeah. And that's, that is real, right? Those reassurances are real. We do need those. Those aren't just nice things. They are needs that we have around reassurance, right? And so, and because what you're describing in BDSM is called aftercare and in aftercare, a lot of the times different people need a different phrase, right? And so some people need that phrase. I love you. And some people need that phrase. I respect you, right? Or I see you because for some people do you still respect me? Like that was some really dirty stuff. Like it's just something that they need to hear because of the way they were socialized or whatever it is. And I think that's one of the things that, um, like I was saying, we don't always know exactly what we need before the fact. We don't always know how we're going to feel about something until it's actually happening. And there's, there's adjustments that need to be made on the way. And I think that's part of why debriefs are so valuable because we can have really tender feelings come up, right? Like, especially like, oh, does this make me like a dirty slut? Like, am I, you know, have I changed in your eyes or or anything like that? Or even, you know, for, I've talked to men who've held a more dominant role and they're like, have I changed in your eyes? Do I seem, you know, am I now the aggressor? Like, did I, did I fuck it up? Right? Like, did I go yeah. to, right. how, how are we doing? Are we still connected? And so I think that's, that's something that I think is so, um, valuable about that, that tender, that, that tender space after these kinds of places. Again, there's a lot of bonding and a lot of trust that can be built in those, in those times, because we are honoring, well, hopefully we are honoring each other's deeper needs around being seen and being loved and being accepted in, in those spaces, because they're pretty raw, right? (laughs) They're pretty raw and vulnerable. And I think that the, um, the the what is it the dick parade <laughs> that you were describing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a good example of like whoa I didn't know that was going to turn me on and I'm not sure how I feel about it like I like you know I'm like still integrating like that 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 turned me on that I was really into that like what does that say about me or I think when our when we're in an experience we can have a lot of different um endorphins going and a lot of things and then when we come down from it we do need to integrate and we need to feel connected to our partner. It's really important that we have that. And, you know, that's just, it's a, it's a major component of BDSM and the BDSM communities in the ones that I've been part of. That's been a huge piece that they've advocated for is aftercare. And it's not just necessarily right after, but it's also the rest of the evening or the rest of the night or the next day. Like sometimes things get integrated at different times and to just be aware that that's like a normal part of the process. Um, but I really love that you two are kind of demonstrating like what's possible and just how much the different relationships in our lives can be different, right? That life can be different with a different partner. And we do need to take seriously, you know, our personal growth and our, our patterns, right? Cause it's, it's not just finding a different partner. It's also, have I grown as a person as I'm moving into a new relationship? The ways we do tend to attract the same partners. But if you have done the growth and then you get into a relationship with a new partner, a lot of our men have said very similar things to you, Jeff, where it's like, wow, it's a revelation being with a woman who's not critical all the time, who actually yeah. likes me and actually appreciates what I provide. Like, holy shit, life is a lot better <laughs> than it was with that, with in with that in that relationship where I felt demean where I felt put down. So, um, we're starting, we have to start to wrap soon, but I'm curious, you know, um, because you two do podcast together on sex and relationship, uh, briefly as we're starting to wrap, I'm curious about, has that enhanced your relationship in any way? And what's kind of been your biggest takeaway in running a a podcast on sex? Either one. Um, Um, so it's been super interesting and very new for me. Jeff has, you know, he, he's got that lovely 
radio voice, right? He's got such a wonderful voice that people like to listen to. Um, I certainly love listening to it. And he's done podcasts on other topics before. So this wasn't new to him. And he was going to start a sex podcast. And I was going to be on it as a guest from time to time. Just talk, Actually, it was going to be a lot more about relationships and sex. But the sex part really started to take off a little bit more. Um, so he asked me to join him. And I mean, there are times literally we, we finish, um, recording a podcast and like we're naked in five seconds because just like talking about it and remembering things and like bringing things up and we'll do statistics and we do learn a lot too. We've learned a ton. Um, um, and people have called us. We, you know, we have some people who are in the swinging world that have reached out to us and, um, that's of high interest to me that the whole swinging world just fascinates me, um, completely. So, um, that gets me going too, when we talk about stuff like that. So it's, it's enhanced our, our, our sex life in, in the short term (laughs) also. Um, but I think it's also brought topics to us. So when we're doing research on topics, we learn about things and then we talk about them, you know, um, and afterwards, and when we meet people, there's, there's just, I think an extension on our conversations. Do you agree? I I do. I think, um, you know, real quickly, I would, I would just say that, I feel that the podcast is, has enhanced our relationship sexually and emotionally because, you know, we have a lot of experience to bring to the listeners on our show. Uh, we've we've both been through a lot and there's a lot of value in those everyday real person experiences. But in the stuff that we're researching to gain additional knowledge, whether it's statistically speaking or informationally speaking, um, it creates conversations and it, and it creates growth between us because we're, I think the best way to actually learn something is to train someone else on it. Right. So if you, <laughs> there's a lot of value to training people on something, it's amazing how it really enhances your skills. So I do think that we've both benefited from, from that, that aspect of the show. Yeah. And so what is the show? <laughs> so as we're wrapping up, where can people find you and, and the podcast and what you're up to? Yeah, so we are on pretty much every podcast platform out there. Obviously, Apple Podcasts is one of the biggest ones, but you can find us there. We are the Love and Sex Podcast. And um, like Allison said, we do a lot of relationships and sex shows, but sex sex is the winner, right? Sex is what everyone wants to, to hear about and talk about. So we, we do focus a lot of the show on that. So if you're open to talking about sex, feel free <laughs> to stop by and check sex. us out. <laughs> awesome. I think we will wrap it there. 